Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael like to debate, deliberate the Mount Rushmore of any given topic, and this week is no different as they and I deliberate the Mount Rushmore of people who turn their lives around. Jeff, you chose this topic. I did. Why? I'm fascinated by people who break free of the patterns that control them, that they've established, that uh, grow up in a certain environment that supports a certain kind of lifestyle or behavior that might not be positive, might be destructive, or people who've just kind of worked their way into some self-destructive niche and aren't able to get out of it, or people don't think they will, and then they do. And we see this type of story happen a lot in entertainment. We wish people could pull out of the, the destructive patterns in their lives and make positive change, but often they don't. So it's all the more uh, fun to see and all the more great to recognize and uh, celebrate those people who do turn their lives around. And honestly, I thought this topic would land a little bit closer to Christmas. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's a scheduling thing. Yeah. On my yeah, half. Yeah, well. But th- it's funny that the... I think everybody likes a redemption story. Yeah. I think everybody ultimately, no matter how bad a person is, you know, before the podcast started rolling, we were talking about Donald Trump. Yeah. Ultimately, the Republican Party wants a redemption story to come back and it's to be like Mike Pence. And he's the one that is like going to restore order and faith and all this thing. Like, in all of this nonsense and garbage, there's like ultimately there's the entire narrative of the Trump presidency is going to be like, oh, where's oh the guy that was like the pious one that was working behind the scenes and it teamed up with the bad guy. But ultimately they saw the light. Like, honestly, that's all we're going to see yeah. is like as soon as this shit is done with. Donald Trump is president, it's going to be like, oh, well, we didn't know with the error of our ways. And, oh, we repent and we see oh, how bad it was. But uh, thanks to Jesus. Oh, uh, th- oh my God. Oh, thank God. Yeah. That is fucking coming in oh. 18 to 24 months. And uh-huh. it's going to be fucking obnoxious. But people, people love Redempt- to do that. They yeah. love the redemptive qualities of it. Yeah. And Trump's not going to be redemptive. He's an asshole to the day he has already died. QAnon. Mm, mm-hmm. But people want to see that. Yeah. I think that's why we go to see entertainment, why we read stories, to see other people do the painful transformation that we know that we should do. We all we all want to turn into uh, this person who has this montage where yeah. they go through this amazing development process that isn't easy, but they transform themselves from a mediocre person to a champion from a normie to a Jedi or, mm. you know, from a mm. kid to a wizard. Mm. And, uh, and we all hope that we are not going to, um, transform into even worse <laughs> visions of ourselves. So, okay. So, uh, Mount Rushmore people have turned their lives around. And I think the last time we started, I think I might've gone to Richard. So I'm going to go to Michael. Okay. Well, my first choice was, uh, inspired by something you mentioned at the end of last week's episode. Uh, talking about what we're going to preview. We talked about Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, yeah. So, of course, I'm going to choose... E- no. I'm going to choose the Grinch. All oh, right. Wow. Okay. Or as my child Felix used to call him, the Gunch. The Gunch. <laughs> he just couldn't quite get there and is the Gunch. So whenever we see the Grinch, he's 
the gunch. <laughs> the gunch. <laughs> and um, everyone. That sounds sh- like my, my college nickname. <laughs> it does. It sounds like somebody would be in Jackass uh, Part 2. Yeah, gunch. Yeah. Oh, here comes the gunch. It wouldn't be just gunch. It would be the gunch. The gunch. Yeah. Uh, everyone is familiar with uh, Dr. Seuss's very famous How oh, the yeah. Grinch Stole Christmas yeah. about this miserly uh, green hermit character that lives up on the top of a mountain away from Whoville and all these people that are just so lovey-dovey and love Christmas and he just yeah. hates it and he hates these people that mm, have rejected him or he's just he's just a dick. Yeah. And he's like, I am going to do something about this and I'm going to go down and I'm going to steal all of the Christmas trees and the lights and I'm going to ruin Christmas. Yeah. For the only reason is because I don't like it and it pisses me off. And he goes down, steals all the things, and then, of course, he meets someone, uh, Mary Lou Who? 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 What? How old was she? (laughs) No more than two. (laughs) Look, Jeff knows it by heart. How sweet is that? By heart. Which grew. Which grew three sizes that day. And And uh, he meets Mary Lou Who. Yes. And he, you know, ultimately learns uh, to appreciate Christmas, and his heart gets bigger. You know, his heart is described as being this tiny bean like fragile thing. And uh, he turns around and turns into a very generous and giving person. It's very much Mm -hmm. in the vein of Ebenezer Scrooge, this awful person that learns to love and learns to appreciate and respect and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Dr. Seuss, he's so good at that. Yeah. He's so good at being taking something that everyone knows and putting a child's spin on it and being imaginative and mm-hmm. silly. and Of course, preaching. I'm only familiar with it through the uh, Jim Carrey version. No, no I'm, ca- <laughs> I'm kidding. Why do they have to keep remaking He's this? He's the Sir John the Gielgud way? of yeah. Grinches. <laughs> Why do they have to keep remaking this? I don't know. You know, I, The first one is perfect. It's perfect. You don't need to touch it. What's interesting, and we... Uh, we've been watching. We are we are now in a new era of infotainment and mm-hmm. information. We are ensconced in Disney Plus. Yeah, and we've been watching a lot of old Disney movies. We watched. Um, my child is two and a half years old, so his attention span is forty minutes, no matter what movie. But we watched. Uh, oh, Snow! We start. We're like we're going to start with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That's and, per- Perfect place to start, yeah. Yeah, first one, and he got to the point where, uh, you know, the dwarves are hemming and hawing around and doing whatever, but all he cares about is the um, the Wicked Witch. He oh, likes okay. the bad characters. Yeah. Not the Wicked Witch, uh, the Evil Queen. And he wanted to watch the Queen turning into the old hag over and over. So we watched some of that, and we watched some of Alice in Wonderland, and that was very interesting until about 40 minutes in, you lose the interest. But the Pixar films... And the digital animation, I think he's really interested in because they're glossy. They almost look like toys. This kid would not care about the original animated version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He would not care about the Jim Carrey How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I guarantee if he saw the digital animated How the Grinch Stole Christmas, I think he'd like it because... Because of the animation? The animation. I think that there is a toy quality to all of these things it's strange this came up today the toy quality to how they're like rounded they kind of look like something that are kind of plastic Mm. and i think kids really like so i think that you'll see things slowly be made into these yeah plasticky cgi 
versions of it. I haven't seen that one, but I guarantee we'll probably mm-hmm. see it. Yeah, way. okay. I don't know. Unlike the TV Grinch, mm. which is, I think, a half hour with commercials, I imagine the feature film, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, yeah, or The Grinch is Still Christmas, goes into some backstory. Oh, sure. Yeah. Why he doesn't like Christmas. Oh, I have seen enough of. (laughs) And plus, trust me, any bit is enough of the Jim Carrey version. But yeah, it is all backstory and bad. Yeah. I think the Dr. Seuss of is known for creating these individualist (laughs) type characters. Hmm. Like a Uh, character who will not eat green hands and ham. Or well, the, 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 Lorax. Lorax. the Lorax. The Lorax. <laughs> Sorry, we were watching the a bug. We were watching a bug's life. So I'm in a different. I'm in a different world right now. Well, like the Lorax. Uh, thank you. Individualists, like yes. Um, oh, interesting. People who don't. I don't want to eat the thing everybody wants to eat. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Grinch kind of fits into that a little bit. And like Charlie Brown in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, he's somebody who has a emotional barrier standing between himself and this holiday. But I think Grinch, Scrooge, almost the same thing. We know he's going to have a last-minute yeah, turnaround where he sees that the things he The believes, Christmas spirit of these people who, yeah. even though they had their things stolen from them, right. will still continue on, and that you know embiggens his heart, to yeah. quote The Simpsons. And like Scrooge... He he's really giving them back things that he took from them already. <laughs> he he's been miserly uh, to Cratchit as a boy. It's really yeah. giving him income that he should have had in his pocket already. So even when he gives him the goose, that's the one as big as me. Um, okay, I love it. I love it. Uh, and I am so entertained by that with Boris Karloff narration, with the uh, Thor Ravenscroft, Raven. Ravenscroft vocal, with the um, Hanna Barbera outlines. No, sorry. The Seuss outlines, but with the definitely Warner Brothers type of Tex Jones type of... It was Chuck Jones. Chuck, Chuck Jones, Jones, sorry. Yeah. Chuck Jones kind Tex of... Tex Avery. You're Tex Avery. That'd only be if the Grinch saw a hot-looking Grinch and went, ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. His eyes bugging out. Okay. Okay. How strange is that? Hmm. Uh, the, the mask, a very Tex Avery. Oh, yeah. sure. And then to... Jim Carrey, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, cool. So, great, great pick. And moving on to Richard. All right. My first choice was the first person I thought of when you brought this topic up. Um, was Robert Downey Jr. Also on my list. Okay, right. I kind of assumed that's that a three-way bing. That's a that's a double point for both of you. A bing and a bing and a bing and a bing and a boom. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, incredibly talented actor. Um, yeah. Also, someone who has probably done as many drugs as Keith Richards throughout his life, um, but has been sober since what two thousand and one, one something like that. Yeah. Um, Somebody who's, you know, dad was an, uh, kind of this indie filmmaker in the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s. Inventor of dryer sheets, right? What? No. I'm I didn't. Downey. Yeah. Oh, I get it. There's, uh, he also, they also named a town in Southern California. <laughs> from. Great. Um, Avant-garde her- filmmaker father. Yeah. And who apparently introduced uh, his son to marijuana when he was six. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Yeah. That's, that's. So, Michael, just so you know, that's bad parenting. Mark it it down in my spreadsheet. Yeah. (laughs) My Google Doc for bad parenting. Pot at at six. six. Yeah. At least wait until they're 12. Um, You know, someone who kind of came into the public 
uh, I, as what Rolling Stone would later call the single worst cast member in Saturday Saturday Night Live history, yeah, but redeemed himself, went on to do this, some great work in movies, including Chaplin, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. Um, and then spent about a decade, a lost, you know, you know how uh, Lennon had his lost weekend? Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. had like a lost decade and a half, yeah. basically. I'm going to read through some of the... I have a list. Of <laughs> you have a of list. That it's just like, I, I've, I have no idea what any of these are. That's adequate. True believer. Uh, chances are, I guess I've seen. Uh, Air America. Too well, much sun. Soap Dish was good. Chaplin's good. That was 91, 92. Heart and Souls, I love. But then it starts to go, The Last Party, Hail Caesar... Uh, Natural Born Killers, Only You, Richard III, Home for the Hollerays, Restoration, Danger Zone, One Night Stand, Two Girls and a Guy, Hugo Pool, The Gingerbread Man, U.S. Marsh. Like there, it gets it, it gets really wonky. It, it turns into Nicolas Cage at any point in his career type. Like I don't know what Nicolas Cage has been mm-hmm. in for the last twenty years. Some of right. it's familiar. A lot of it is just like, what is he? Just does everything. Yeah. But he definitely had that span, which is kind of pre, hmm, I don't know, Kiss Kiss get Bang Bang was That's when a, he kind of came back. And right. that was like, oh, uh, everybody likes uh, everybody likes a person who is also contrite about it. And is also like, I had a bad time. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm trying to get better. Right. Yeah. Who doesn't make mis- make excuses about yeah, that. Yeah, that is the thing. That's the thing about this topic is the people that admit it and they're like, yeah, I've been a Grinch on a hill and I've been awful or I've been, I did bad things when I was under a lot of drugs and a a drunk. I fell asleep in somebody else's neighbor's house. That's the the famous one, I suppose. Um, There was a point in time where he couldn't get work like because literally he couldn't get bonded. Mm-hmm. Like insurance companies would not insure yeah. films if he was involved in it because he was such a risk. That's wild to do something like and ruin the mm. uh, production. Like at some point he was on Ali. Remember he was on Ali McBeal for a while. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And it was, that was like his first of many of several abortive. Hey, Robert Downey Jr.'s back type comebacks. And then uh, cocaine happened, and he wasn't on the show anymore. Time to go. All right, and even John Favreau has said that. He really cast uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark partially because of uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s backstory and, and kind of what he was able to bring to the table. It's interesting, though. You see how many, like, all the nerds out there are so worried about who the actor is that's going to play. Are they going to represent the character on screen? And really, like, a Robert Downey Jr came in and even like just became that character but then I think changed who he was in the comics like the comics had to start reflecting yeah Tony, who he that was Tony, that version that to- of Tony yes Stark. that Tony Stark it wasn't just like oh this is what canon Tony Stark was it was like we kind of kind of it's got to be more like Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the, the great casting things that they did right. and it's kind of reflected throughout comics where the comics had to reflect, or the movies had to reflect the comics, and now the comics have to reflect the movies. Did that happen, like with Batman? I don't. Hmm. I wasn't reading. I that I was. I was sort of reading Batman. At I the don't time think of the, that, of the original Batman, like I don't quote unquote think, Tim Burton. I don't think that there was ever 
a Michael Keatoning of Batman. But was there a but there was, but there was a darkening of Batman. Like right. Batman went from being like the uh, Danny uh, O'Neill kind of uh, blue and gray Batman to being like Batman that's dressed all in black. There's definitely right. yes, mm-hmm. the that definitely happened. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay, Winfield. What's your second? Uh, my second choice is someone. This third, actually. Oh, that's right. So he goes. So Richard, what's your second choice? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. See, so good thing I caught those. Good thing somebody is wow. This we we really properly over here. I'm listen. I'm, Appreciate it. I'm great. We didn't break any House or Senate rules within <laughs> uh, our Constitution yes. of Mount Rushmore podcast. Someone, Mr. Speaker, was, you have thirty seconds. Someone's going to come in and bang a gavel, <laughs> and we'll, let's we'll we'll visit with the House parliamentarian and, <laughs> and Richard. go. Uh, my second choice, J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter oh. uh, series of books. Yeah. Um, someone who had a very rough uh, time of things before the series uh, became a series. Mm-hmm. Um, was basically, as she would, and, and somehow. I this, literally forgot what our topic was because yeah. I was just thinking about Robert Downey Jr., but it just turned your life around, and I was thinking. Oh, who is a horrible person? Yeah, you don't have to be a horrible. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, no, no, person. I got, I got it, I got it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this can be people who are just <laughs> great choice, in yes, horrible circumstances. Yeah, and she, and she had been like a not very great student. She had graduated like with some sort of like philosophy degree, I think, or something like that. Someone, I'm going to get 20 people correcting me on this, but was working for Amnesty International, basically as a kind of a secretary and translator. Um, was in a really bad marriage that was abusive. Uh, got out of that, was single, living with her kid, uh, was on government assistance. The story wound up coming out that, oh, she was homeless. And she wasn't actually homeless, but what she said is she was basically as, as poor as you could be without, without being, being homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, but had this idea of, at some point had this idea for this story about a, a wizard. And, you know, took about seven years for it to go from her starting to write it to selling to Simon and Schuster, I guess it was, and uh, it coming out, and now she is literally like, I think she's like the seventeenth richest person in Britain. Wow, um, you know, just incredibly wealthy. Has donated like two hundred and fifty million dollars of her personal wealth to her various uh, charities that she runs, and just, I, I think she, she is one of those people that that when you see the meme of look. This person was 35 whenever they first published they published their first book. And that can be I know that's a meme that gets kind of played out and there's a lot of joking around about yeah. it. But this is like an example of no. It really can happen. Mm-hmm. You really can be someone who's kind of deep in, you know, relatively deep into your life. Mm-hmm. It for all intents and purposes it can seem like that your die is cast in life. But if you've got the talent and you've got the ambition and you've got the one great idea Things can happen. I, I think all I, celebrating early promise is a beautiful story for news and for an, Disney animation. It's and great. It, it's great for rock and roll. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, like when you're when you're 21 and you've written the fucking best album that you'll ever write in your life. Wow, yeah. it's awesome when you're 21, 22, and you're out there and just touring. But like, oh yeah, what happens when you're 35? Yeah, and that you've been working at it for 10 years, I do seven think years for artists. That idea that uh, reaching your creative maturity is something to look forward to in the 30s or 40s or being able to find the persistence of vision or the time to put aside to uh, 
go off and accomplish that dream is something to to celebrate. It's a beautiful thing when we get to tell that. That also, story. It just also as like a writer, you're just it's just a perspective. You're, I'm sure your perspective changed. I'm sure what Harry Potter was when she was 28 is different than Harry Potter when she was signed with Simon and Schuster at 35. The sure. story changes, the drafts change, who all of these mm-hmm. characters are. I'm sure that you know it would be interesting to see like original drafts and original. You'll ne- you'll never see it, right? But like who these people are and how these things change over the course of nearly a decade is fascinating. Right. And I, I think with the Harry Potter franchise in particular, I don't know that that's a story that someone could have written at 19 or 21. Or right, 25. right, right. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's a story that you need to have some perspective on life and get a lived in life a little bit. Cause it's not, I mean, if you haven't read it and Jeff, I know you haven't no. read Harry Potter. It's a kid's book, yes, but it's also a very dark book in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would have a hard time imagining myself, I'm just, oh, that's all I can project is myself, being 19, 21, 22. I was an idiot. I didn't know, what, I didn't know anything about life. Yeah. You, know, you know, what's interesting is before you got to the um, Mount Rushmore podcast uh, recording studio, Richard and I were having a discussion about... Jeff and I. Uh, Jeff and I were having a discussion about... Uh, George Lucas as mm-hmm. this person who has written this, the star Wars as he initially wrote it, you know, when he was 26, 27, he was this young indie filmmaker and who George Lucas eventually became when he's in his fifties and sixties remaking star Wars and writing the prequels. That is a lifetime different person. Right. Yeah. And like whatever your ideas of what the star Wars should be, are so different from mm-hmm. where you were when you're like bucking the studio system and 27 and saying F you to people. And I'm going to do all yeah. these different things. Like that is 26 to 50 and 50 plus is a huge mm-hmm. different You know, it's person. reading about the making of the new dark crystal Netflix series oh, uh-huh. and Henson at that age, had already done The Muppets and Sesame Street and already had some successful Muppet films. And had he done Fraggle Rock? I'm not sure. But when the, the Dark Crystal... Dark Crystal's before Fraggle Rock. Just before, before Fraggle Rock. Yeah. But this kind of a hippie... Yeah, Fraggle was the one that came back, that brought him back into children's television. Okay. He's like, like oh, what... Allegory. HBO, what, we can do something different now and let's mm-hmm. make it very peaceful and anti-war yeah. and... It seems like Henson was still a dyed-in-the-wool hippie environmentalist, even though he was a business person, entertainment industry tycoon. And I think the Lucas that wrote Star Wars was still a person who was part of the uh, subculture a little bit, or the counterculture. He was, he was an outsider. At well, least he was like a Hollywood. pal of Coppola and yeah. like those kind of indie filmmakers. Yeah. Well, those were the people that he, you know, like when he first shot Star Wars, those were the people he was getting a yeah. feedback from. Yeah, his friends were Spielberg and Coppola, and they were like, "This is what is this? It's the guy terrible. who, yeah. the guy who they sold, hated it. The guy who wrote the prequels is an action figure salesman. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's, right. He's a toy maker. It's funny, though, to think of Jim Henson and George Lucas of the same generation. Uh, mm. I think Jim Henson a little bit older than Lucas or you know, be, maybe yeah. a decade yeah. older, but ultimately they both entrusted Disney with yeah. the people that were going to tell their stories going forward. Mm-hmm. Like I watched a documentary actually pretty recently about Jim Henson 
and how he was just so frustrated with the management of the Muppets. Like the business of the Muppets was just like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I, Oh yeah. I, and it was like when he signed the deal with Disney, it was like, who are the people that are going to take care of the characters in the way that they should be. Right. And it's interesting to see like George Lucas was another one that was like, who are the people that are going to invest the money going to do star Wars the right way and whether they whether did. he thinks that's the right way now mm-hmm. or not is left he, uh, open for interpretation he has 4.1 billion reasons to be like uh, well i can't i can say what i want but i guess i i know what my price is on <laughs> right. what that mm-hmm. but it's just very interesting two very interesting creative people ultimately were like oh we're gonna sell it to this giant multinational and yet the giant multinational has been doing great things with yeah well at least half of them. Yeah. Right. They got to uh, do better. By the they Muppets. did both go to London to do their thing. Like, didn't. Yeah. Muppet yeah. Show. Muppet Show was, was, an ing- was shot a, in London. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. A hmm. Lou grade production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the big, like, uh, who was Blade like, Runner the big guy, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so it is our halftime. Uh, give the gift. Uh, this is our uh, holiday drive's beginning. Give the gift of the Mount Rushmore podcast. Uh, you know, it's pledge drive season pledge here drive at season. the Mount Rushmore podcast. We want to go into the New Year's swinging. Uh, 2020 hindsight is what you'll have when you, you uh, look back and have given the gift of the Mount Rushmore $20 podcast. $20 a month you'll receive. Yeah. You get this tote bag. The tote bag. Tote bag. It does it's look, an NPR tote bag. It, it's actually just one that I had laying around. It does look like a Ralph's paper bag, and one of the handles yeah. has been kind of pulled away because yeah. they put too much stuff in it. We, we didn't want to double bag it because of the environment, but now you have to carry this thing yeah. by one hand. We Get it. There's the three casters CD. It's not the three tenors, it's, but Richard and it Michael says and myself. We do look pet like. boys on there, but no, no, no. We're not we crossed that yet. out. <laughs> um, and you get the smug satisfaction knowing you supported the underdog. The you can support our uh, last minute life turnaround, <laughs> where we go from being a, 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 a emerging but ex- highly. Um, uh, well critiqued podcast to a powerhouse media uh, conglomerate. conglomerate juggernaut. Are we selling stuff? To, are we? I'll tell you how you do that. Are we selling to Disney? <laughs> is there going to be a Muppet version oh, of Mount Rushmore podcast? Well, I do work for the company. They own every creative thing I do. So sorry, guys. I think they own this anyway. That's about the best we could hope for, yeah. really. <laughs> the way you give the gift of the Mount Rushmore podcast is you just share a link with um, all your friends and post about it and on social media like Facebook and that's really the best thing you can do and think how smart it's going to make you look at your holiday cocktail parties when you're dropping all the knowledge that you learned into the podcast and you're following us on Instagram and Twitter that would be pretty cool and then rating and reviewing past episodes give it uh, a five I think that's Maybe close to the top of the rating. It doesn't matter. Even if it's like, that's like halfway, yeah, we'll take a five. We'll take, just, <laughs> How sad is that? Yeah, just so we'll that the, it looks like some of those nibbles on this hook. Well, after that, uh, I don't know how we can de- debase ourselves anymore. We are back from our halftime, and I'm imploring Michael to share in his selection of the Mount Rushmore's of people who have uh, turned their lives around is choice of the third. Well, Jeff, do you have any halftime adjustments that you want to recommend? Did you see something in the first half that you'd like to see employed in the second half? I will say that my list 
was all I'm des- real people. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. <laughs> I'm desperate. You need some, some a W. Mm. Uh, my list was all real people. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean that their lives aren't essentially fiction to me because I don't know them. But, uh. Well, I am going to keep with fiction. And also, this is a nice transition from Richard's uh, last choice of J.K. Rowling to mine, which is a Roald Dahl story oh. called The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. I'm not familiar with that. Um, this was from, it was eventually released in a 1977 book, uh, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar and Six More, just six, uh, just seven stories, seven short stories. And it's about uh, this rich asshole named Henry Sugar, who just has too much money, and him and his friends just go around. They just bet on things. They have so much money that it doesn't matter. So they this bet. This is on- trading space, trading places, by the way. A little bit. We'll get. Oh, that's good. Uh, so he he's just uh, at a friend's house, and they're just out drinking, or just just drinking at a friend's house, and uh, they're playing some card game. But there's five of them, but there's only room for four. And he drew the short straw, and he's in the library, and he. Uh, it's just like perusing the library of all these books. There's just like, I don't give a shit about books. Who cares? And he sees this little tiny book and he starts reading it. And it's about this, like a doctor's account of this uh, Indian gentleman who uh, can see without uh, having his, without his vision. He can wrap his towel around his head and he can do all these amazing things. And he's over the years studied with a, a yogi and learned how to. Hey, boo boo. See, without using his eyes, and he's just fascinated by this. And he goes and he starts um, studying with the same yogi, and he learns to see things behind. Like, of course, he uses it for nefarious purposes. He wants to use it to gamble, so he like sees what someone else is doing on the other side of their card, and he can kind of see into the future a little bit. So he starts using it to gamble and make all this money and he's just going around the world to casinos and he's just like ah, it's, it's he gets to the point where it's just like this is too easy what is the what is the point of all this and he has like this epiphany one night and he gives away he just starts throwing money off of his balcony and he's just like you can have my money i wh- what's the point of all this and then someone comes up to him and says well there, if you want to be charitable there's a stop causing a riot with all this, <laughs> this cash that's flying around. So he starts going to casinos and he starts gambling, but he starts getting recognized and starts getting kicked out of casinos because he's going to raise all this money to give away. But then he's recognized, and so he hires the best uh, makeup artist. And so his life turns into this thing of going and pilfering from casinos and dressing up in disguises and stealing all this money using his newfound yogi powers and uh, creating all of these like Henry Sugar orphanages around the world. And what is a Roald Dahl story without orphanages Orphans, <laughs> being yeah. involved? But uh, I just love the story. It's such a yeah. wonderful thing of a person that is so rich and so just opulent that they got to the point of boredom and had, had to look inside mm-hmm. To see what can they do. That seems like a theme with Dahl mm-hmm. observing the Willy Wonka character who's got this amazing factory. When you have so much money and you don't, and 
the yeah. money, you know, starts to change. The money starts to change you, and hopefully, it changes you for the better. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge as well as the person who's mm-hmm. money eventually and change him for the better. But like, I just love the story. I love, I love also putting it over on a casino. Yeah, it's the Ocean's Eleven sort of aspect of like taking it back from the system that has built upon. Like he didn't. I guess for he bringing down the house. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. he was. You know, he had these powers to. Look he was at the, a cheat. He was a cheat in a way. He just learned how. Right. He didn't do it. He wasn't looking behind the card, other than he was looking behind the card. Right. Was it written from a child's point of view of what would be fun as a kid, what powers would be fun as a kid, or was this something for? No, an older? it was more of a. I, I would say, you know, Roald Dahl definitely has a. There are the two sides of Roald Dahl. There are like the acidic. Like if you read like his collections of short stories, he is very, his humor is very wicked. Oh yeah. His children's books, there's an aspect of wickedness to them, but they're kind of couched within a bit of silliness, whether it's twits that's about, you know, these awful people that have to stand on their head and are glued upside Mm -hmm. down or, you know, Willy Wonka is certainly silly. Doll spent. Doll has these very two halves. He's a children's yeah. writer and then he's an adult writer. I he think he did a lot years of uh, yeah in diplomacy, essentially spying on Hollywood. So he out of, after the RAF, I think he took diplomatic positions, and one was in Los Angeles. And so I think he married Patricia O'Neill. There was somebody uh, he eventually married a celebrity actress, but his outsider position within the entertainment industry early in his life was a thing of relish for him Hmm. as this individual who was a former RAF pilot. I think he's of Swedish heritage, but then lived in England. And so he has this definitely almost like a, a espionage type of life. So, well, he was friends with uh, Ian Fleming. Yeah. Right. And they Uh, did a chitty, chitty bang bang together. Yeah. What a couple of badass dudes! Yeah, shot down over enemy territory, fight their way out. Like, now I'm gonna write a kids' book. Baller. Anyway, check out Henry Sugar. Okay. It's okay. Um, fun. When uh, Manfredi. All right, my next choice is a woman uh, named Georgia Durant. Durante. Um, not related to Jimmy Durante. Um, she uh, started Same off. Same spelling. Same spelling. Okay. Just take this for the for the record notes. for your for your record keeping uh, needs, Michael. Um, she was a model back in the seventies. She was actually a Kodak girl, which was one of the models for the Kodak camera company. And she was at the time maybe one of the most photographed models in the okay. world. Um, if you flash forward about thirty years, she at that point had become a very successful. Hollywood stunt driver. Wow. Um, had done like ads for Chevrolet, a bunch of movies, a Cindy Crawford Pepsi commercial. And while that is all interesting, right? Like th- that, that enough would make an interesting mm-hmm. life. It's what happened in the middle and how she got to that point that kind of, I think is relevant to our topic. Um, as she was a model, uh, she started hanging out at uh, nightclubs including this one nightclub. There's an after, hour, after hours nightclub in New York, which as most of them were back at the time were mafia related. And uh, 
one day she is there and a fight breaks out and somebody gets shot and they decide they need to take him to the ho- take him to the hospital right away um, so they flip her the keys and says hey blondie you got to drive him you know get him there as quick as you can and so she apparently starts cutting through alleys and just doing all sorts of fancy driving shit and gets him to the hospital and these mob guys are basically like whoa you really know how to drive we could use you so she starts becoming a driver for the mafia the wheel man she's the wheel man wow she is driver she is baby driver um <laughs> And she said, according to her, she didn't know what she... At first, she would park a few blocks away, and then they would come and they would drive away. And she didn't know exactly what they were doing. Until one day, they came running. There were sirens. Cops come in, and they said, floor it. And she went full Steve McQueen to get them out of of danger. And so by that point, she had got married to someone who was mob-associated. There was a big mob war that had broken out. And... It was an abusive relationship, and she just grabbed her car keys and her kid one day and said, we're, go- we're driving, let's go, and drove out to Los Angeles to have like $7 to her name, was staying with a friend of hers who was an actress, I believe, and was watching TV and realized, oh, wait a second, all of these car commercials, they have people who are driving those cars, and you can't see their faces, but somebody is driving those yeah. cars, and I know how to drive a car. So she would just start going to commercial shoots and just bugging the directors like, hey, I know how to drive. Why don't you let me do this? Until they eventually gave her a shot. And this turned into this very successful career as a, uh, like I said, as a uh, uh, stunt woman. Actually, I think she founded her own agency for female stunt women at one point. So just a fascinating story of someone who, Whose, career, whose life took many ups and downs and at one point was at this really low point of basically, like you said, Jeff, being a, we- a wheel person. Yeah. Um, and was able to turn their lives around mm-hmm. and, and do, do this amazing thing with their, at that point, third act in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people don't get two acts. Right. She got three. Driving is one of those skills and driving well is one of the skills that can uh, apply to a lot of things in life. It's like, if you are like someone, like uh, who's who's the, the famous army guy that was Arlie Army, Arlie Army, who's like, what can you do after you're in the army? You can teach how to be in the army. Yeah, driving is so ubiquitous with just daily life that if you are a great driver, you can turn that into driving for commercials, teaching how to people how to stunt mm-hmm. drive, doing all these different things. That it is just this. But it's very unique. Like a stunt driver or a professional driver isn't something you think about all that often when you see the commercials of... Uh, uh, what's the guy that's driving the Lincoln? Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right. He's, he's in there behind a blue screen, and then he's like <laughs> pretending how to drive. Does he know how to really, really drive? Or they're like, pulling him in one of those like prop yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah. Does he really know how to drive? Not the way that this woman does. Right. Like there is an art to it that I think is pretty interesting Mm -hmm. that people don't think about. That you don't think about like the person that's driving in those commercials. Mm -hmm. They're very precise. They're very. And it's amazing to me that it's I I would always I would assume most people who do that driving used to be race car drivers, had been trained in it, had gone to driving schools. And it's something that you have to like really like yeah the origin story of this is as a career but her just sort of like getting thrown the keys with a guy bleeding out in the back seat and saying 
drive. Mm-hmm. And that's how she realizes she's good at it. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. I learned to drive on like uh, uh, a Sega Game Gear <laughs> when it was just like, <laughs> I remember playing it with my friend Eric's house. I'm like, okay, you don't have to press the brakes. You just release the gas, the gas to yeah. slow down a little bit. And I was like, now I can hit this turn, and then you're halfway through the turn, and then hit the gas again. That's it's driving. Like, that's how I drove through it. Like, and that's also why I don't drive with Michael. <laughs> well, but I'm holding up the game here as I'm doing it. Which yeah, that really worries me a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it takes a guy, lot of batteries, the game gear. <laughs> does. Not that he ever had a downturn, I think, but Jimmy Van Heusen, the Fly Me to the Moon sure. songwriter, was also a uh, Navy test pilot throughout much of his early career. Oh, really? Yeah. And he would fly uh, Frank to Palm Springs. He, if, if he would get hired in Hollywood to go r- write a movie or music for a movie, he would fly from New York oh. to Hollywood. He'd fly huh. himself in his own plane. But he would also crash these, these planes then get up and go right another badass <laughs> yeah yeah okay um uh man winfield Ooh. who is it man winfield man, you're a man uh and you're winfield what do man you got? what do you got winfield uh i have someone my last choice is someone who turned their lives around twice oh the Ooh. first time for the worse oh the second time for the best and of course our good friend Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Yes. Darth Vader. Mm. Okay. He made some really bad choices that eventually led him down the path to become Darth Vader, Lord oh, yeah. of the Sith. And then at the last moment, he made one good choice that helped save the galaxy as we know it when he threw the Emperor down a pit and was like, stop hurting my boy. Right. He should have said, I would love it with a, like a, a country accent. <laughs> you get you get out of oh, here, no. Emperor Darcidius. You get down that pit. You get off of my boy. Bill, Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> as Darth Vader. You get. You stop lightening up that boy. Just get him out of here. <laughs> Tossed him down. Of course, uh, we all assume Darth Sidious is going to return in some way. Well, he's no, he's dead completely, except mm. for in the trailer. I've heard some laughter. <laughs> but... Um, you know, the story of Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader, is great. You know, it's the story of this kid who is supposed to be the savior of the Jedi, supposed to save the galaxy, and, of course, succumbs to darkness, turns his life around from one where he was supposed to be a good guy. Yeah. He was supposed to be a good guy, and then... Yeah, Not just a good guy, but the good guy. The good guy. The chosen one. The good guy. And then it requires his son's love to be like, you know what? This isn't very good. Wasn't he already... Did he already do one turn? Do we consider the fact that he went from slave child to pod racing phenom? Yes, he's had... I mean, he's had a lot of twists and turns. But, Mm -hmm. like, to go from being, like, a slave kid to being, like, you know, within this monastic Jedi cult. uh, I mean, it was always... You're trending that way. He wasn't a bad kid. But it took like a a bad influence once he got. From a success standpoint, probably less was ex- expected of him as a young person. Yeah, and so he, by joining the Jedi, that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, but he didn't. Um, I don't know. Is that turning your life around? He wasn't a bad kid before he joined the Jedi. Oh, well, J.K. Rowling's wasn't bad. 
I'm just saying that he, he's mm. made something of himself yeah. that was where it mm, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. He's got lots of twists and turns. Oh, in his... I think it's just supporting your argument. Mm. He's trying to help you up out in Numbskull. That's Darth Vader. Yeah. He's gonna He's a wacky dude. Yeah. But, you know, I think ultimately what's great about Vader at the end is just that moment where he's just looking over. He's looking back and forth. He's like mm-hmm. There's this guy that's getting zapped and he's my son yeah and there's this old dude who's just been a dick to me my mm-hmm. entire fucking life and i've been probably trying to kill him to, yeah. be, to be honest i've been trying to get rid of him for most <laughs> of my life you don't see a lot of that but most likely darth vader's been trying to get an apprentice and get rid of well, him that's and the all. way of the sith yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. but like i just love that moment where he just he's like he's looking back and forth and he's just like you can almost see the light bulb go on. Yeah, he's, his yeah. <laughs> he's wait a not second. Not just here. <laughs> not just the light bulbs on his chest. But, and then, like at the end, that pathos of just like, tell your sister I was right. You were right. Uh, you saved me. You, I'm going to die, but this was enough. I did just enough. Yeah. I did just enough to get rid of this old asshole. And that's what's beautiful about redemption and of all, all the Christian themes that go through star wars this idea that if you repent it makes up for this lifetime of horrible yeah, he horrible, murdered people and they blew, blew up alderaan <laughs> and billions of people died a whole a whole uh, a children genocide of all children. this stuff and at the end it was just like you know what you did you did enough of a good thing that yeah. like yeah maybe it's okay and end. were he with the Grinch to be not creepy and twisted and green and ugly, and a Vader were not to be so menacing, mm. the turnaround would not be as profound yes. and as exciting yeah. and dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ricardo. All right, speaking of... Jimmy Durante. <laughs> That'd be incredible. <laughs> speaking of people with faces that have been scarred and pocked by, by life, well, stop. I, I'm your, I'm on your list. No, Danny Trejo. Oh, I was gonna pick him. That's a this great is, choice. You know what? Hmm. Yesterday, literally yesterday, I had yeah. Trejo's tacos for the first time. How was it? How were Fucking they? Fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. I had this. I heard the cauliflower br- ones are. Fantastic. Emily had the cauliflower taco. She loved it. She what said do you it was a, cut the meat. She Tell said it was the best day. of the three. <laughs> I had the asada burrito. It was great. I had like this little pesto sauce in here. We are now sponsored by Trejo's Tacos. <laughs> it was great. really mm-hmm. fucking good. good. No shit. I'm so excited to hear this story. So he was. I don't know anything about Danny Trejo. Oh, he was somebody who basically was a juvenile delinquent. Mm. Was involved he in looks drug, like it. drugs and alcohol. He looks like it. Uh, spent most of the 60s and the early 70s in and out of, out of prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1972, he was in San Quentin. Uh, got involved in the boxing program there. Spanish for the Quentin. The Quentin, yes. Um, of the Quentin. And uh, was a champion box. You know, by 1972, he had been a champion boxer at San Quentin. Had gone through a 12-step program and gotten sober, and got released, and was just kind of outliving his life. And he was actually a uh, a youth drug counselor. And one day he's working with a kid and the kid's like, I'm actually acting in this movie Runaway Train and I've got this cocaine problems and I'm having problems being on set. Could you help me out? So he goes on set and he's working with a kid and the writer of the movie, this guy named Edward Bunker, 
was a crime had actually been a crime author and is someone who similarly had had a real life crime, criminal background mm. had served with Danny Trejo in San Quentin. Oh wow! Recognized him and said, "Hey, why don't you come? We need Eric Roberts needs to get trained for as a boxer for some scenes. Why don't you do some work with him on this? And yeah, we'll get you. Maybe we'll get you a small role in the movie. So he winds up training Eric Roberts, getting a small role in the movie as as a boxer." And uh, basically, just from there, just kept getting smaller roles, started getting slightly bigger roles, and eventually became Danny Trejo. Yeah. You know, actor, you know, ultimate who's that guy, Mm -hmm. uh, who is now, you know, kind of ascended above that rank to become this entrepreneur and general person that you would like to hang out with. And it's just an amazing redemption story. Yeah. A few of... His descript- describing his early performances as a heavy, and he would see how much money they're giving him, and he knew it was movie magic, right? But he he would acknowledge how much money that was, and and ask the filmmaker, "How bad do you want me to hurt this guy? <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> like, am I supposed to really mess this guy up? No, no, it's all acting, right? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And someone who uh, now has kind of traded in that sort of because. You know, obviously in his early roles, they were all the heavy. They yeah. were all sort of the henchman mm-hmm. type or the, the gang member type guy. And it's interesting now, like if you look at his roles anymore, it's like Spy Kids and yeah. all these movies where he's kind of playing off of that. Now he plays because I think it's almost impossible to, for Danny Trejo to be cast as the bad guy now. Because mm-hmm. everyone knows him as this like charismatic, incredible Redemption story. Yeah. Hold on. So got, now he winds up. I got to check to see if he was in one of those uh, Sylvester Stallone. Was he in one of the uh, Expendables? The Expendables. Let's see. I don't know. I don't remember, but he may have been. I I wouldn't know. But I think it's it's hard for now. He plays these basically the guy who looks tough but is actually has a heart of gold yeah. type guy. Because I think his public persona is so much that mm-hmm. that it's almost like he was he spent most of his career being typecast as like the heavy. And now he's typecast as the heavy who's actually not. Yeah. I mean, he's, listen, that's just from 2014. Uh, a voodoo possession bullet. Muppets most wanted as himself. Yeah, yep. the best in the blood, in the badasses, reach me, vengeance, the book of life, snapshot, reaper. Look, look they're not all great movies. <laughs> Man, but there are a lot this of This dude them. is just, he's just a fucking worker. You know, I, that makes me Ooh, think Cyborg about X the... As Captain Machine Gun. <laughs> The turnaround that happens is really a right-sizing because I feel like tra- that turnaround doesn't happen if you aren't authentically yeah. s- somebody that could be that new person. Right. Like, I imagine Danny Trejo's environment was much of who he was was more n- nurture than nature. Like He was it, raised in an environment in which violence, crime might have been the only right of initiation for a young man, might have been the only economic opportunity for him. And so. I wonder how much of it is, like, because I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at his filmography, and it goes, you know, from Dust Till Dawn 3, Animal Factory, Reindeer Games, to Spy Kids. And I wonder if all it takes sometimes is just to be in a kid's movie and be like, oh, this is the guy. It's not as scary as you think he is. Yeah. And you're just in a kids movie, even right. even if you're playing the character of Machete, who later went on to be like Machete, Machete Kills, yeah. 
and all this stuff. But like, I wonder if it's just being around the environment of working with like other kids and things like, oh, yeah, he's just a, he's just a guy. He's just an actor. We can cast him in other things where he's not this horrible person. Yeah, maybe other than Tom Hanks, the most beloved person mm-hmm. in in here, and certainly a Los Angeles, particularly here in Los Angeles, I would say a Los Angeles institution. Like Los- people know hmm. Danny Trejo, and they have, I think, strong feelings for him, which is why I think Trejo's tacos and Trejo's donuts and all those things have worked. Man, really good. Sorry, I. Right. Literally yesterday was like, this is really good. All right. Uh, I'll check it out. Who is more loved as a Los Angelino? Uh, uh, Vin Scully. I'm going to offer a different one. Angeline. And, <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> Ever, no one dislikes Angeline. Nobody's bad. I was going to say like <laughs> Flea or Anthony Kiedis. No, there's a lot of people who don't like Red Hot Chili Peppers. But although I think they like them personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, like, they've written the same song for the last 15 years. But, right. like, Flea seems yeah. like a cool guy. Yeah, he's got the bridge. Is that his he's thing? A smart, he's a smart guy and, like, a big Lakers fan. And, like, yeah. who doesn't like Flea? He's in right. Back to the Future 2 and 3. <laughs> he's cool. Hey, uh, tune in for our Hot Takes episode. You might find out that some people don't like Flea. Oh. That's coming up. Next week, the hot take down real quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a quick research on because I need a fourth. <laughs> the the and, dark and side fi- of flea, and I gotta side. figure out what's wrong with flea real quick. <laughs> uh, okay, so some great choices. Uh, you know, Michael really needs this, Richard. Um, uh, I will say, RDJ is gonna be on there. I put it, you put it, you put it. Mm-hmm. So, RDJ. And uh, I will also. Uh, Say that uh, I had thought about Danny Trail, but didn't put him down there. But I want to pick Danny Trail. Super pick. And definitely Anakin Skywalker. Good pick, yeah. That's a good one. And you know what? Because I had thought of this within the framework of a holiday episode, The Grinch. Right. Is that four? That's four. Let's get the F out of here. This has been the Mount Rushmore of, you know what, guys? I think... Here, I got this giant present for you. Oh, there you go. There you go. Unwrapping sounds. <laughs> crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. Gila monster. <laughs> Going to your neck. Uh, this has been the Mount Rushmore of uh, career. People who turn their lights around. As always, I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. I'm Gila monster.